Hello and welcome to our first year of Mattress and Stories podcast. I'm your host, Molly Vassabertolucci. I'm a licensed therapist and a maternal mental health specialist. I'm a mother of two on a parenthood learning journey, just like you. On this podcast, I talk with moms about their first year of motherhood and all of the joys, challenges, and surprises that come along with it. We share a lot of information and resources here, but this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a mental health professional. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Thanks for being here with me. Hello there. It is me. It's Molly. But as I'm recording this intro, my voice is recovering from a night of singing my heart out to Taylor Swift. In today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Ann Welsh, a mother of four and a clinical psychologist, executive coach, and consultant. In this episode, she talks about learning how to let go and grow through her motherhood journey, in her career, relationships, and in self-compassion. She gives wonderful insight into some of the deep struggles that new moms face with all of the shifts that come with becoming a parent. She talks about the process of learning to let go, scary medical challenges in the first year, how so many things from baby temperament to breastfeeding challenges and changes in work and ambition can challenge your expectations of motherhood and how stepping back and allowing chaos to unfold allowed her enjoyment, closeness in relationships and self-compassion. She shares some wise, wise words for mothers who are in the thick of it right now. I'm so excited for this special episode. Thanks for being here. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, It's great to be here, and thank you for having me. So I am a mom of four kids. Um, My oldest is 14, and my youngest is seven, and they kind of span the range in there. Um, And then I'm also a psychologist in private practice, and I'm an executive coach and consultant. And in all of those roles, I focus on supporting parents and working parents um, with the hope that I can help them feel less alone and more connected with others and kind of tap into their own confidence as a parent. Um, and I live in Belmont, Massachusetts, which is just outside Boston, uh, with my kids and my husband and a very adorable Bernadoodle uh, named Allie. So that's our COVID dog that we got a couple years ago now. What three words would you use to describe your first year of motherhood? So uh, some of them are words or phrases that you know that, um, but I would say the first one that maybe everyone picks is overwhelming. Um, but I would say that with a caveat of overwhelming, in like hard and wonderful ways, right? It was an overwhelm of stuff to do and of sleepless nights and of, you know, those moments of feeling like, is this ever going to get easier? But also that kind of overwhelm of, of love and care and um, kind of absorption in this tiny person that like you just get so fascinated with, um, right? Like I... I I say the minute I became a parent, I was never bored again Um, in both good and bad ways uh, because there's almost so much, there's always so much stuff to do, but um, kids are also so fascinating and interesting um, to, to be around. Um, So that was one. And then I think number two would be letting go, even though that's kind of a phrase. Um, I think I, you know, I'm a pretty type A person. I'm pretty in control of things a lot of the time. And in particular, having my first was this kind of constant process of recognizing that I am not in control, you know, even from the minute of um, getting pregnant and kind of the, the changes that happen to your body and, you know, even things like, oh, I now have to schedule this last minute doctor's appointment when I was supposed to be at work. And 
I don't get to choose how this plays out or what the schedule is for the, the ultrasound technic technician. I just have to let go. Um, and I think that is something that I am continually doing, even 14 years into parenting. Um, and kind of relatedly, I think the last word I picked was becoming. Um, you know, I think I had done prior to becoming a parent, I, my research was actually in the transition to parenthood. So, you know, 20 something grad student, I was, I loved looking at transitions and points where, you know, something shifts in someone's life and figuring out how they adjust to that and acclimate. And my, at the time, you know, again, I was really young, not a parent at all myself, nowhere close to being a parent. And my advisor had said, you know, what about looking at the transition to motherhood or to parenthood? This is really understudied. And at the time, there was nothing um, in the psychology literature. So I really, I focused on that a lot and it was really interesting. So I'd done a lot of research on it, but the research was really looking at it this at a point in time, right? As you are not a parent and then you are a parent. And while that is true, I think my own felt experience since then has been that it's not an end state, right? It is a constant um, shifting and changing and adjusting um, as you kind of become the parent along with your kid's growth. Yes, absolutely. That's so beautifully said. I think even just of the first year, like you think you've got it down and then they change, right? Like you're like, I figured out this like sleep, this bedtime routine that they're going to sleep and then it shifts. <laughs> like and It's just like this example of like throughout all of parenthood, you're just constantly adjusting. So there is always like the next challenge and the next phase, right? And I think you're right. Overwhelming, I think is our most popular description so far. <laughs> but I love that nuance that you added to that of like, it's almost like a, a bursting of like all the wonderful, all the just filled with the, the good as well as the hard. Yeah. What was the model in your head of motherhood? What did you think that your first year would be like? I was probably a little overly confident. <laughs> um, I was, I, so I'm one of four um, and my mother was a doctor and had four kids and made it all look pretty easy. Um, and I had started baby, I loved babies. I started babysitting when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I could handle a newborn. I could handle, you know, uh, a family of four boys. Like I could do it all, but it's a totally different ball game as any mother knows, right? To babysit versus to parent. Um, and so even though I came into it kind of knowing the how to's, right? Like I knew how to change a diaper. I knew how to hold a, a newborn. I knew, um, you know, what it looked like for the umbilical cord to kind of dry off and fall off and be a belly button, right? Like I knew all of that stuff. I just had no idea of what the emotional experience of it would be. Um, and I think that was really, really surprising. And I think caught me a little bit off guard. Like I remember people telling me, you'll come home from the hospital and feel like, how am I supposed to keep this kid alive and be surprised by the responsibility? And then I was surprised when I actually had that feeling because it, it is this overwhelming sense of, wait, this is real and this is mine and like permanent. It's not, you know, there's no end in sight. Um, and I think with each of my kids, I knew more obviously about that experience of parenting babies, 
but there was always a newness because now mm -hmm. there's another kid in the mix. Now I have a two-year-old and have to navigate bringing home a baby or a two and four-year-old, right? And so there's always this piece of, oh, right, we're, this, this is always hard, hard in different ways. Yeah, hard in different ways. I saw something really beautiful recently that every time you bring a newborn home, your whole family is newborn. Like you're a new mom again. You're a new parent again. This is a new sibling. Like it's everyone is kind of starting over again. So it just changes the fi the family dynamics and uh, everything. Everything becomes new once again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Right. And there's some of it that's so familiar. I mean, even after four, right? Like we had the crib, we had all the stuff. There was not a single thing I had to buy, but there's still every time a completely different experience and a different baby. And I think that's the thing I had no idea about going into it was how much infant temperament matters and match mm -hmm. of that temperament with you. And, um, and that was really hard because my oldest ended up being colicky and just a difficult difficult baby and he's a wonderful human um but it was it was flooring how challenging it was to have what i now in hindsight know was right a difficult to soothe temperament um as an infant and that it i spur i think for the most of that first year i felt like i was screwing it up that i was doing it wrong and that's why we couldn't figure this out as opposed to this is also a kid that's just having a hard time and, and you're parenting like the best that you can through that. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that kind of ties in with what you're talking about letting go, like up to this point for a lot of women, your input equals output, right? Like your hard work or what you do equals results. And this is a dynamic where this is another person. Like it doesn't matter all the time, exactly what you do doesn't equal a result, right? It's, it's a lot more complicated and, oh gosh, especially to have a, a firstborn who's with a difficult temperament who's colicky, our brains automatically go to what am I doing wrong? Like, how, how do I fix this? We maybe never have like run into that before of, you can't, <laughs> you get through it and you work together and you, you come out the other side. I, I mean, I remember distinctly a moment in that first year where at some point, like literally all, all three of us, me, my husband and the baby were all crying and I, we just couldn't like get her to calm down and feeling really helpless in that moment. Um, but that's the, th I was, we were really young when I, I mean, young compared to our peer group. So I was the first in my group to have a, a kid and, and really no one did for a couple of years after that. Um, so I had no other friends going through it with me. I had to go back after work after six weeks at the time with my first. Mm -hmm. So I never had a chance to join a mom's group. It was kind of just me. Um, and all my other friends that I that had kids after that, I would sit down when they were pregnant and say, like, there's going to be a moment when this feels impossible and you're going to hate it and you're going to feel overwhelmed and like the worst mom. And that's okay to feel that way. That's actually super normal. And I, I told them this, not like a spear mongering and all of them have said to me afterwards, I am so grateful you told me that because I hit that moment and I, just, and I said to myself and told me this was coming. I'm okay. We're okay. We're going to get to the other side of this. And I didn't have that knowledge. Um, and so it just made it that much harder. Right. And that much easier to think I'm doing it wrong. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. Or there's something wrong with me. I'm alone in this. I'm the only one who feels like this. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you kind of got to take on the role of providing that peer support that you didn't have later on. Yeah, totally. And it's funny how, you know, I think work for me, work and parenting have been kind of inextricably um, entwined in part because you can't be a therapist and then have parenting not impact that, right? Like they're both very emotional, um, personal things, but also in this very concrete way of I ended up uh, during my pregnancy with my fourth becoming certified in perinatal mental health and have moved into coaching so I can access parents all over the country, Um, you know, because it is such this important experience. um, And it is one that really needs a lot of support. Um, And and so I think it's, it's been this kind of growing in lots of different ways over the years for me. Yeah, becoming beautiful. Yeah. So you mentioned with your first, you went back to work pretty quickly, six weeks after birth. How did you feed your baby in the first year? What was that like? So, you know, I had to go back after six weeks just as a, it was not, you know, I should say I didn't, um, I didn't really think twice about it. I mean, this was 14 years ago, so things were a little bit different in terms of policy, but I was doing my intern year. And for people not familiar with psychology training, it's a lot like medical school internship. It's a match process. You have no say over where, I mean, you have some say, but um, not a ton of say over where you end up. Um, And it's a pretty intense year of training. And so I was lucky to get the six weeks off. Um, And luckily I was going back to the tail end of it. Um, But in terms of feeding, you know, I had a pretty supportive environment as you could get a lot of mothers actually in my office. So I nursed and pumped um, initially, and I was dead set on nursing for the first year um, and I didn't make it. And it was in part because my, I finished that intern year and I went to a postdoc and I had a really rough experience in that as a working parent. I was the only working parent. Um, I would have to pump in like a bathroom stall. I didn't have time to pump. Like I, I, it came, if I pumped, it meant I was staying at work later and then away from my kid longer. And I just had a lot of trouble with pumping. And and I didn't know at the time, again, didn't know at the time that some women can pump much better than others, right? That some, I had a friend who was able to pump, you know, 20 ounces per feeding or something crazy. And I would work for, you know, half an hour and get like two ounces. And by six months, I was just fried. So at that point, I stopped pumping and just switched to kind of mixed feeding of formula during the day and and nursing at night and in the morning. And we kept that up as long as I could. And then my supply ended up um, completely dropping out before the first year. And that was really disappointing because it wasn't what I wanted. Um, But I think that was maybe like a very first lesson in kind of being gentle with myself, right? That like you can want it to work out one way and you can feel like that's the right choice. And also it can work out a different way. And that can also be a good choice. Yeah. What was sleep like in that first year? Sleep was, I would say sleep was challenging in, um, you know, in hindsight, my second was the worst sleeper. So in hindsight, I think I didn't realize that it could have been worse. My, my second did not sleep more than an hour or two until he was about six months old um, at a time. And I was up with him constantly. And so 
by about four months of that, I really started to struggle and get pretty anxious and irritable. Like the sleep deprivation was just really tough. But with my first, um, it was it was hard because it was again that same. You know, you mentioned that input output, right? You, I read all the books. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a I have my doctorate. I am good at researching things. But it doesn't always play out the way that the books say, uh, you know, turns out, newsflash. Um, and so I did a lot of reading on sleep and tried to figure out here's how we're going to do it. And like three of the methods we tried just didn't end up working for that kid. Um, and so it was a little bit of do the best you can at first. Um, and then, you know, around six months, we sleep trained. Um, and that was a game changer. And it was good for my kid. My kid ended up sleeping and kind of smoothed some of it. It made him happier. Um, and also it made the rest of us happier, right? It was definitely one of those things where mom getting sleep helped everybody. Um, and so that was kind of the right choice for us um, mm -hmm. at the time. But it was, you know, I think one of the things that, again, in hindsight, I can see and I've talked to a lot of patients and, and coaching clients about is that whatever you choose, someone's going to tell you it's the wrong thing, right? Like, no, everything we do as parents is so loaded and rife with judgment. And someone is out there shouting at the top of their lungs that you are a bad parent for doing it a different way than they are. And sleep is definitely one of those things where no matter what you choose, someone's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. And I really had to struggle and kind of with struggle with that to get to a place of I get to make a choice that feels right for us and I have to quiet out all of those other voices. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes. And especially now with social media and just so many like hot takes and just it's and very passionate people on all sides, right? And I do a lot of work with my clients. Well, and myself as a parent of, yeah, blocking out that noise and being like, what, what is in line with my values? And like, what is in line with my values at this moment? And like, just like you said, what is going to benefit my family? And sometimes that's what benefits mom's mental health is going to benefit the whole family, right? Like, it's not helpful for us all to be irritable and exhausted when I'm not parenting from the place I want to be when I'm exhausted. So what sleep methods or what arrangement is going to work best for my family, right? It's so, it can be so loaded. What challenges did you face that you just didn't anticipate? I would say a couple and one, maybe in some ways more towards the end of that first year, you know, one was I wrapped up my postdoc um, and had some time off before I was supposed to start my next job. And this was right around the end of the first year or a little kind of bright. Yeah. Right at the end. And being home with my baby at that point full time, like opened up this space of maybe I don't want to work full time that I had never even allowed myself to question. Um, and that was actually, it was hard, right? To have this sense of what am I doing with my life? What do I want to be when I grow up? Like, how, how do I want to handle this? And, and I tried a lot of different iterations of things after that and kind of found my way to a place where now I really love the balance I've struck. But I didn't see it coming. Again, my, my mom worked full time. She was a doctor and this was in, you know, the eighties. And I thought that was so cool, right? Like she was like a trailblazer and I totally appreciate that. 
but also I didn't have a model of like making a different choice um, or of saying, I want to do this part-time. Um, so that was one big challenge. And the, the other was my oldest actually got really sick, right? Um, at like 11 months. Um, and having a kid get really sick at that little was one of those things where it was incredibly challenging and I didn't fully let myself feel it while we were going through it. So the, you know, the short version is he started throwing up every day and this went on for a month and we were in the doctors constantly and not getting diagnoses. And, um, you know, it went from a kid who by 11 months was already walking and talking to a kid who was not saying anything and was not really moving very much because he was incredibly malnourished. And, and I knew, um, you know, working in mental health, but also with a lot of illnesses that overlap with physical health, I knew how damaging malnutrition could be. Um, and it was very, very scary. And, and in the end, it turned out that um, my kid had celiac disease and this was the symptom. And again, now this is something that people have heard of. 14 years ago, this was not a very commonly um, discussed diagnosis. So we were able to kind of get it fixed, so to speak, more easily. Um, but that two months at the end of um, the end of that first year was pretty terrifying. And, and I had again, I hadn't seen it coming. Um, you kind of think, oh, I have a healthy baby. Everything's going to be fine. And then your kid's not fine. Um, and it, it's like this almost out, it was almost like an out of body experience while it was going on. Yeah. It's, it's like the definition of survival, right? You don't realize how hard it was until you get through it because you're just getting through it. Um, and I can relate so much to what you shared because I had a healthy pregnancy and then my baby was born with medical needs. And it was, it was like this big surprise. And then you're just, you're just trying to figure out the next best thing to do. And, and um, yeah, it can be incredibly scary. And I think also when you're talking about this model of work, right, you had the, you had your mom as your model and this I hear so often is when you when a baby comes into the picture, all of a sudden things can kind of open up and you're like, there might be a different way to do this. Like my ambition looks and feels a little different than it did before. And that can be really destabilizing, like because your identity can be so tied up in what you're doing and what you do for work and the plans you had before. And um, so that that makes a lot of sense. But when you're in it, it's like, whoa, like what's happening? <laughs> like, this baby has changed everything that I thought I wanted for my, my life. So what helped you during that, that transition? And what do you wish that you had known in the first year? I think what helped with that in particular was being open to it and, um, and being willing to like kind of talk it through with other people. I'm a pretty verbal processor. There's probably a reason I went into the field that I went into. Um, and so, you know, being able to say out loud, hey, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. And, and my husband was always super, super supportive, um, you know, as I kind of worked through that process. I had had another job lined up. I, you know, had to gotten a job at Harvard. And, and so I was going to take it, right? Like, you know, that, that high achieving part of me was like, you've got the job at Harvard, you're going to Harvard. This is like not a choice, really. Um, but it was the seed had been planted and I was willing to kind of let it percolate. 
Um, and so I think just being willing to listen to myself and acknowledge that that was there and sit with it and not push it away, I think was really helpful. And, you know, and again, having supportive people in my corner that were willing to, um, let me wrestle with it a bit and let me figure it out as I went along. Yeah, absolutely. Invaluable. How did the idea of self-care shift for you during the first year? I think it shifted into something that I just do to something I have to advocate for. And that was hard, right? Mm -hmm. Prior to having a baby, I went to weekly yoga class and I would, you know, occasionally go for a run or a walk or um, get my nails done or read a book on the weekend if I wanted to. Um, I mean, I had a, I was in graduate school, so I had a lot of flexible time too. Um, and that kind of all changed at once. So that was part of it. But all of a sudden self-care became this thing I had to get essentially permission for because I needed to find someone else to watch the baby or say to my husband, will you take the baby? And I never, it's not that I ever got pushback. He was a hundred percent like fine with me saying, Hey, I'd like to go do X, please take this child. But I had a very hard time with that. Um, it was, I really had to work at saying I need this thing. Um, and it's okay for me to ask for help to get it. And in the early days, um, people would kind of almost have to push me. Like at one point, my mother-in-law was like, you need to go schedule a haircut. I'm going to come take my grandchild. I would like to see her. And at the time I was real annoyed. Um, not that she was saying my hair looked bad. That wasn't the point that she, I think she knew I had to schedule one. But, um, you know, and, and at another point, my husband said, why don't you go to a yoga class? Like people kind of had to suggest it um, for me to be, able to be able to see I need this thing. Um, because otherwise I was always trying to squeeze it in during nap time or like when it was convenient to everyone else and, and not take space in that mm. way. Yeah. It sounds like it had to become something intentional. Yes. How did your relationship with your husband change and evolve during that first year? In that first year, it was, I think it really grew um, you know, again, we were both pretty young. We had gotten married young. We had our first kid young. Um, he was uh, in his was a first year associate at a big law firm, so working a pretty intense job. Um, and I think we really kind of worked well together in terms of communicating how we were going to manage stuff. You know, we, we the how, who is taking days off with the sick kid? I, you know, because I was at that postdoc, I had no. I, no vacation time, very little sick time. So he really took the um, the brunt of the sick days and the um, kind of unexpected needs. Um, you know, it, for most of the doctor's appointments, actually, the pediatrician was right next to his office. So our nanny could take her in and he could meet the nanny. And um, as much as I wanted to be there for it, that's what worked. And so watching him really step up and kind of do all of that was great. Um, and, and I think it was this also the sense of watching him kind of fall in love with this baby too was was wonderful um so i think we really had a positive experience during that first year with each other um and i think there was an awareness that like we were going to grow as a couple um because of it and that again we were young and that like this was kind of a normal part of like just the growing pains of transitioning from school to work all at once with the kid. Mm, yeah, 
yeah, a big time of a lot of transitions. With your relationship with your husband, was there um, a number of kids, like going from one to two or two to three or three to four, that felt the most challenging? That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I would say from, I'd say one to two was probably the hardest transition, but I don't know how much that was about the number of kids versus again, like infant temperament. Um, and the combination of having a kid that was having a really hard time at two, um, you know, later my oldest was diagnosed with a spectrum disorder, but we didn't know that at the time. We just knew that this was really, two was really hard. Um, and then adding another baby who, um, did not sleep, um, and was super mobile. I mean, my second was walking at nine months, climbed out of the crib at a year, like super active. Um, it was this sense of, I'm still trying to hold it all together and act like I have some illusion of control and I don't. And these kids, these particular pairing of children was really, really hard versus when we hit three, there was this sense for me of like, yeah, I got no control, right? Like this is going to be loosely controlled chaos at best at all times. And I'm totally okay with that, right? So I think for two, it was the sense of we added a whole level of complexity and I'm still pretending like I actually know all of, like I'm trying to know all of the things and do everything right and get it just so. Whereas three was the tipping point into that's not going to happen. Let's just clear up any illusions of this being um, structured or um, easy or um, anything but some degree of chaos. And I was actually so much happier in that space. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to be said about being able to step back and detach from that control. And it does. It brings on a lot of peace and more opportunities to just enjoy the chaos. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right, quick break here because I want to tell you about How We Get Through. How We Get Through is an app filled with curated mental health courses, workbooks, and a team of mental health professionals to guide you through almost anything. There are on-demand courses with topics like getting through your child's autism diagnosis, making big life decisions with your partner, getting through mom anxiety, and finding yourself in motherhood. And that's just a few. So here's how it works. You download the app, take a course, and feel better. There's on-demand courses, reflection prompts, self-paced curriculum, progress tracking tools, curated resources, and a therapist directory. You can purchase individual courses, or you can subscribe to the app to learn from mental health professionals on all kinds of topics. You can start a free trial or jump into a How We Get Through course today using the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Ann Welsh. Did you always know that you wanted to have a bigger family? Tell us a little bit about your decision to have more kids. What was that like? I, we knew we wanted multiple kids. Um, and that was something we talked about even before we got married. Just like, hey, like, let's make sure we're on the same page here. Um, I think we both kind of assumed we'd have three, and then we ended up with one more. Um so I, you know, and, and I would say the difference between three and four is like logistics more than anything, right? Like, you know, you have to have a car that fits a fourth kid and you don't all fit in an, 
in in all of the cars and it's an extra plane ticket if you're flying like there you know there are certainly some things to consider but um i think with adding one more there was kind of a we're already here it's already chaotic what what's one more yeah when you think back about your first year as a mother what makes you feel proud i think for me it was like the pride was of letting the process happen um, of being open to that, because I do know that I, you know, again, I historically considered myself a, a perfectionist and have kind of worked on that a bit, um, and, and letting go of some expectations. But I think with parenting, there was very much a shift into being in the process, um, and being more mindful and sitting with stuff sitting with the hard stuff. And I think that's the thing I'm actually the heart, the, the proudest of, even though I wouldn't have been able to say that in the moment. Mm, yeah, so much growth. Is there a moment or a period of time that stands out most to you looking back? I don't know that there is a moment so much as like clusters of little moments that I still can kind of look back at and enjoy, um, right? Of just like sitting and watching my baby play with blocks, right? Or the the feeling, I can still have the feeling of, you know, my, my youngest is seven and all of my kids are very big. Um, but the feeling of the little baby, I used a Moby wrap and um, having to going for walks with my baby tied on my chest. Like I can still kind of physically feel that. Um, it's, it's almost these like sensory memories that hang in there for me. Um, and they're like totally joy filled. And I also can look back and know with compassion, like they might not have all been joy filled in the moment. And that was okay. Right. Like there were times when I had the baby in the wrap and thought I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I don't want to be holding this baby. And I want to be able to put her down. And also there were moments when I enjoyed it. And both of those were part of the experience and both of those are totally okay. What delights you about your children right now? Oh, so much. Um, I feel like I need to go through them one by one, but my, my oldest, who was my first baby, is brilliant and creative. And um, sometimes we butt heads because I'm a super metaphorical, big picture thinker, and they are a kind of more linear black and white, but like smart, 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 smart kid. And we just don't see the world the same way. But I love when we can talk about that and like exchange, right? At 14, we can have conversations around. I see it this way. I'm going to give you a metaphor and you're going to look at me like I have four heads and be like, why are you talking about it this way? Here's how I see it. Um, I, you know, teenagers are I'm only in the early phases of the teenage years, but there are really cool things about them. Um my 12-year-old is the includer. He is the most extroverted person I have ever met in my entire life. And I adore that he will play and talk to anybody. It does. He's not interested in what is cool and who the cool kids are. He is interested in people. And I, it is just like the warmest thing to know that about him and to watch, even if it's something that is a struggle for him, because 12-year-olds are not always the nicest people in the world. Um and I've got a almost 10 year old got birthday coming up next week. And he is so warm and creative and his, 
he, you know, kind of polar opposite of his brother is the most introverted child on the planet. He, his happy place is right now the hammock with a book. And I adore that about him. I love seeing him in his happy place. And I love that I get that about him and um, get to kind of support that, that there's nowhere else he'd rather be. Um, and then my seven-year-old is just this like bright bundle of creative energy. She loves to do art. She loves to play with her friends. She's just happy and kind of, you know, an easygoing temperament, which is delightful and easier. Um, and I've been able to enjoy her in like a special way because there was no one else coming up the ranks behind her. And, and that's kind of unique. Um, but, you know, I think each kid is super, super different. And I have been so appreciative of getting to, to witness that and honor that difference. Um, and it kind of, I mean, I think that's the benefit for me of having had so many kids is that I don't, it's not about what I'm doing in the end. I mean, to some extent, yes, as a parent it is, but it's allowed me to have this um, perspective of, I don't actually matter as much as I think I do in terms of how they turn out, right? They are who they are. And I just get to watch them grow. That's my job. Yeah. That I love hearing. And just even going from talking about the first year to hearing you talk about where your kids are now and just delight in who they are and getting to see what's our our greatest role as a mother right is getting to just support them in who they are and see them go out into the world becoming who they are and so I, I love hearing to see like getting to see that arc of like you started out and you're like I don't know what I'm doing and and now look at you have this 14 year old you have this all these kids in this whole range of journey it's just beautiful there's a concept I have um been reading about in like leadership literature around confident humility and I was reflecting on how much that applies to parenting right the space of I know that I'm doing an okay job and that I'm showing up and I feel confident of that and I also know that there's a whole lot I don't know as a parent and I'm gonna have to figure it out as I go along and in particular with my oldest I'm always saying I'm sorry kiddo you're the oldest I gotta figure this out along with you I don't know yet um, and they are somewhat tolerant of that. Um, but of hitting this place, you know, over time of, I'm not going to have all the answers. I'm going to screw up and I'm a good mom. Yes. Yeah. That self-compassion piece of it is, it's a growth journey and you don't have to have it figured out. What words of encouragement or wisdom do you have for moms who are in the thick of it right now? I think my biggest thing, and I say this, if any of my clients are listening, they probably laugh, you know, is that it's hard because it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong. And, and I, and I say this all the time and I wish someone had said that to me um, yes. because I didn't know. And, and I think there is a lot out there about, you know, parenting is hard now and, and, and a lot more about it than there used to be. But I don't think moms always let that seep in, right? I still think that there's a lot of moms who maybe know that everyone finds parenting hard, but that somehow still think, but I'm actually bad at it, or I'm the only one that hasn't figured out X or Y, or I'm the only one that gets bored playing pretend with my kids, or I'm the only one who feels like I'm just going to scream if I don't get a little bit more sleep or whatever. And, and the, the reality is, no, you're not. Like, there's other people, other moms often feel this way. Um, and, and you're going to get out to the other side and maybe not feel that way anymore, but it is, it is hard and you're doing a good job. Mm. 
Yes. Yeah. Where can people find you to connect with you? Yeah, um, people can uh, go to my website, which is um, www.dranwelsh.com or at Instagram, I'm uh, dr.welsh.coaching um, and they can shoot me a DM there or um, send me a message on my uh, website. And, you know, I'm not taking any therapy clients at the moment, but I do have room for coaching clients. And um, this fall, I'm going to be launching a uh, mastermind, like a group coaching for working mothers. And so if people are interested in that, they can certainly um, ask questions. And I'm happy to talk about what that experience might be like and, um, you know, schedule just like a one-to-one call and, and talk about what coaching is like in general and what that might be like for them and uh, see if they'd be a good fit for it. Perfect. Yes, that sounds like such a good opportunity, such a good resource for working moms. Thank you for sharing that. And we'll link that in the show notes as well so people can easily access that, all that information. Thank you so much for joining us and just for sharing your story. I just see so much of the the growth, the becoming, the letting go and what you shared. So thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you did, you might want to subscribe to the podcast so you could be the first to know when new episodes air. Be sure to check out the show notes for any links, resources, or information that we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening.